0: We begin this Sunday with a three-week stewardship emphasis called Parables and Possessions. The sermon series on financial management for Christians is written by Rev. Dr. Reed Lessing. He is a professor at Concordia University, St. Paul's, Minnesota. He provides resources for the greater church through Concordia Center of Biblical Studies. Hi, this is Pastor John. I preached the sermon at Bingham Lutheran Church on November 12, 2023. My prayer for you is that God, our beloved Creator and Father, would make you a wise and faithful steward of his gifts, so that you would serve your neighbor in need, extend the gospel to people without Christ, and live to to the praise of his glorious name. Thank you for listening. <laughs> this this uh, weekend we begin this three week emphasis on called parables and possessions. So here's here's the plan. I'll I'll preach through three parables in Matthew, and then uh, during the uh, Thursday adult Bible story or Bible study, uh, we'll be teaching three parables in Luke. So again, uh, at the back, at the table at the front of the church, there's also a a devotion for families with small children. So I I just invite you to uh, participate. Well, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When he wasn't flying his private jet uh, or watching sunsets from the deck of one of his uh, yachts, He was living a life of luxury inside his 10,000-square apartment in New York City. One of his yachts, called Bull, put him back just a measly $7 million. Uh, His jet cost $24 million. He had homes in France, Long Island, and in Palm Beach, Florida. To stand in his Manhattan office was to stand in the epicenter of financial success, or so it seemed. Then came uh, um, the morning of December 10th, 2008. That's when it all ended. That's when he faced the music. That's when Bernie Madoff confessed. That, he, that it was all one big, gigantic lie. A huge pon, Ponzi scheme. Bernie Madoff masterminded the, the biggest financial crime in the United States history. He swindled people out of $65 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars. $65 billion dollars. And I I know that we have a more contemporary example of this in um, the recently convicted Sam uh, Bankman-Fried, another fraudster. I did read though this morning that um, his uh, successors uh, at the Bankman-Fried exchange are opening up a new cryptocurrency exchange, so if you want to participate in that you can but well, let's go back to Bernie Madoff's example because his that's still evolving, the Bankman-Fried one. Um, but Bernie Madoff, we know a little bit more about that uh, huge swindle and, and the effects upon people and upon him and his, uh, his family. Well, first of all, let's just ask this question. Uh, what makes a person live a lie for years? for decades, for their entire lives. You know, it's so easy to get addicted to one word, M-O-R-E, more. In short order, authorities stripped Bernie Madoff of everything. One of his sons tragically committed suicide. Uh, his wife went into seclusion and 71-year-old Bernie Madoff was sentenced to life in prison. His mistake? Well, Bernie didn't believe the end would ever come. But the end always comes. Always. So here's the truth of the day. Begin with the end in mind. Uh, this phrase comes from Stephen Covey in his book titled The Seven Habits of a Highly Effective People. Begin with the end in mind. Because the end always comes. Always. That's the gist of today's parable at the end of Matthew 24. Begin with the end in mind. So let's take a look. Uh, The assignment, first of all, is is, uh, at the beginning of our parable, Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51, and Jesus asked, who then is the faithful and wise servant? Well, this phrase, sir, or this word servant, this word that Jesus used, actually means in the original Greek, it, it means slave. You know, uh, when I think of slave, I think of one of the first movies that I uh, Watched uh, with Charles, starring Charlton Heston in as Ben Hur. You know he's chained up in a Roman trireme. Um, You know he's he's chained up and he he, they they beat the drum to ramming speed. You know so he's a slave. He can't do anything but row. Um, So that's that's the idea behind the servant and whom the master. Okay, so there's a servant. And then there's a master. And the word for, that's used in the language is Lord, kurios, Lord. So think Jesus, the Lord of the universe, so has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. That's verse 45. The characters in the parable are the servant and the master, Or to personalize this parable, the characters are Jesus and you, or the characters are Jesus and me. The assignment, well, the master owns it, we manage it. The master owns it, we manage it. Let's let that sink in. We don't own the household. Uh, We don't even own the servants in the household. The master owns everything. We don't own anything. That's the assignment. We manage it. Well, what's the work? Well, this is in verse 46, the work. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. When he returns. Now, let's begin with the end in mind. In other words, The master will return. The Lord Jesus is coming again. So a little bit more Greek here. Bear with me. (laughs) Matthew uses that Greek verb, Gregorio, in chapter 24, verse 42 and 43, verses in a narrative about Christ's return, right before our parable. So this is important context. Gregorio means Be alert. Be awake. Be watchful. Gregorio, of course, is where we get what English name? Gregory. See, you you already knew Greek. Gregory. Gregorio. Stay awake. Be watchful. Uh, Be alert. Well, how? By doing the work of that, that the master gives us. Now, what would that be? Well, Manage money, our possessions, so that we give to the the church generously, proportionally, regularly, and sacrificially. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Again, when he returns. And Jesus will return. The crucified one is risen, reigning, and returning. Usually at the end of a church here, right before uh, the season of Advent begins, we start thinking about, we get these passages that talk about the Lord's return. And we confess that earlier in the Apostles' Creed, that he's reigning, at, seated at the right hand of God, but then he will return. So we keep this end in mind. And the last book of the Bible, of course, Revelation, gives us that vision of, or that end. Uh, we need to keep holding before ourselves. And what is that? Well, Revelation two seven, when Christ returns we will eat from the tree of life. Revelation two ten, we will receive the crown of life. Revelation three five, we will be clothed in white garments. Revelation twenty one verse three, we will live in the new Jerusalem. And Revelation twenty one verse four, we will never mourn, cry, suffer, or die. And Revelation 22, verse 17, we will drink from the water of life. So that's quite an end to keep in mind. The assignment, the master owns it, we manage it. The work, manage money, so we give generously, proportionally, regularly, and sacrificially. The temptation, that's the next thing in our That we see in this parable. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, Hmm, my master is delayed for a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. Do you see the temptation? The the slave, the servant, thinks he's the, the kyrios, he's the master, he's the Lord. What a temptation! I'm in charge here, so I'm going to use my money on my own terms. The end will never come, so I won't keep it in mind. What makes a person live this life for years, for decades, even for an entire life? Well, you know, it's easy to get addicted to one word. M-O-R-E. More. It's like this. One day you say, uh, Pastor Edding, um, I'm... I'm I'll be vacationing in Florida for a year. So I'm gonna let you use my lake house. And I use your lake house for a year. And then you call up and say, I'm having such a good time in Florida, I'm gonna stay for another year. And after another year, you call and say, I'm ready to move back into my lake house. And I say, what do you mean, your lake house? It, this is my lake house. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. <laughs> my point, um, what we think we own is really on loan. What we think we own is really on loan. The temptation is to think that because my master is delayed for a long time, the money he gives is mine to do with I, as I please. I'm the master, the Lord I'm God. That's quite a temptation, and believers are falling for it hook, line, and sinker. The U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis reports that the average American has $58,007 in annual disposable income. That is the amount remaining after taxes are paid. Remember, this is average. According to research, practicing Christians report giving an average of $1,400 a year to their church, that's between 3 or 4% of their disposable income. More than half of all Christians say they gave less than $500 last year, and 15% of Christians gave nothing. Why such low numbers? Well, the end will never come, so... I won't keep it in mind. And get this. um, Of of the possible answers to a recent survey among Christians, this is a survey among Christians, what is your ultimate financial goal in life? The option to serve God with my money, ranks number six. Number one, serve myself. Research also shows that 57% of Christians who attend church this weekend are givers, 43% 43% are keepers, givers are other-focused, keepers are self-focused. Keepers' number one financial goal is to support the lifestyle they want. The end will never come, so I won't keep it in mind. You think? Try, think again. This is where we get to verse 50 and what we'll call the reckoning. Verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. So here's the point of the parable. Don't make financial plans just for tomorrow and next month and next year. Make financial plans for the eventual end, that day of reckoning. When the master returns, begin with the end in mind. There were once three demons talking to Satan about their plan to destroy people. The first demon said, I'll tell them there's no God. And Satan said, well, that won't work. Most people know there's a God. The second demon said, I'll tell people there's no hell. Satan answered, that won't work. Most people believe in hell. The third demon said, I'll tell people there's no end. Ah, go, said Satan, and you will ruin them by the billions. There's no end. There's no final judgment. There's no day of reckoning. It's the made-off mistake. The end will never come, so I won't keep it in mind. On the last day, do you want to be found faithful with the money the master has entrusted to you, the master who loves you, died for you, and lives for you? I want to share with you just a passage that has spoken to me from Romans, because sometimes fear enters this, you know, in, in dealing with, when we think about our money and possessions. What then shall we say to these things? This is Romans eight thirty-one and 32. What then shall we say to these things, Paul writes, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.